Uh, It's great to be here and to be thinking and celebrating uh, this special time of the year and to be thinking about what it means to us. And that's what I want to do uh, in this, this time just together for the next 15 minutes or so, just to think about what these events are all about. Before I do that, just one practical word. We are going to take up an offering today uh, towards the end, uh, and Will will mention that after the prayers. Just to let you know, uh, 50% of that offering, um, whatever uh, you guys uh, freely would like to give, will go to uh, our building project here. We're going to be developing this space, and 50% of it is also going to go to Jericho Road. Uh, for the, some of you will know that they're a, a charity that works with people in the sex industry in this uh, particular area and across the city, so we want to bless and support them. So if you'd like to give to that, you're absolutely free to. If you don't want to, that's absolutely fine as well. But what is this Christmas story all about? Every single year, uh, as I prepare through Advent to come to Christmas, I'm surprised again and again with the strangeness of this story. And you've been singing these songs and look, in these songs, in these carols, we sing words that we never use elsewhere in the year, let alone sing. These songs remind us of the strangeness of the story and indeed the the readings, magi, myrrh, virgins, mangers, all peculiar things. What is this story all about? What is Christmas all about? Now, if we look to our culture, we see a number of different possible answers being proposed. Family moments, a packed football schedule. That's a particular favourite of mine. Shopping experiences, sales, folks, if you wait till after Christmas. (laughs) Celebration, meals together, fanfare, a Strictly winner. Perhaps, or maybe an X Factor for those Channel 3 X Factor fans. An X Factor album to be released. Maybe a Christmas number one. That used to be a thing when I was growing up. Or maybe Christmas is about the mother of all consumer events. You know, Christmas starts earlier every year, doesn't it? I think it's like mid-July that um, Asda had the, uh, the trees up this year. Other shopping uh, stores are available. I actually read this week that £6 billion was going to be spent on all marketing this Christmas alone. £6 billion. That is about a fifth of a Brexit, folks. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) Year on year, consumer spending over Christmas increases. We're spending more of our time, we're spending more of our money celebrating this event. But what is this event all about? Well, don't worry, Strictly fans. I'm not here to tell you that Christmas is all bad, that Strictly is all bad, that shopping family is all bad. Not at all. These things are all great. They bring us joy. But are they the reason for, uh, for Christmas? Are they really what's going on at Christmas? How will we find the deeper meaning we're all looking for? Well, fear not, because Donald Trump has waded into events <laughs> and offered us an answer. He is the gift for every preacher that keeps on giving. <laughs> Uh, Indeed, just this last week, he shared his thoughts. He said this, Remember, I said we're bringing Christmas back. Christmas is back. Bigger and better than ever before. And we say it now with pride. Let me just say to those here today and to those all across the country, dramatic pause, Merry Christmas. 
Seems that the President of the United States isn't content with making America great again. He's also making Christmas great again. This year, Christmas is going to be bigger and better than ever before. Is that what Christmas is all about? Bigger and better. I want to suggest this vision of Christmas isn't the same one offered by the Bible. Bigger and better is not actually the primary story that we see reflected across the pages of the New Testament. In the readings that we've been reading about, in the songs that we've been singing, yes, there are moments of angelic fanfare, there are moments of excitement and joy and peace and hope and all that good stuff, but the narrative, the story behind it all, beneath it all, is not bigger and better. Our readings this morning remind us Christmas is not exactly as Donald Trump imagines, or indeed as the marketing gurus who are proposing the different ways to spend their six billion pound budget. Rather than being glitzy and glamorous, the first Christmas was shameful and scandalous. Take Mary, for example, mother of Jesus, an unmarried virgin entrusted with a son. No credentials, No CV, probably 12, 13, maybe 14 years of age, unmarried, who by accepting this assignment from God was going to be marginalised. In the middle of her ordinary life, she was disrupted, probably dismayed by the offer that she was given by God through this angel. A virgin will have a son. What would that mean for her? It means disruption. It means that she would be shamed by the culture around her as an unmarried woman about to have a child. And she had plans to marry Joseph. They're probably going to set up a a nice two up, two down in Nazareth. Settle down, become part of the community. You know, Joseph had his carpentry business and she had all plans for the family they were going to raise and The contribution they'd make to the community, they could go to synagogue every week. You know, she'd cook meals, she'd have meals on the table for when he came back. She'd maybe run a bit of business on the side. Who knows what her plans were? But all of them in that moment, the angel appeared to her, were going to be disrupted by the birth of an illegitimate child. This is not a story for her of bigger and better. Her experience wasn't one of bigger and better. This woman who hadn't even been taken for better or worse, was going to be disrupted. This wasn't bigger and better, it was smaller. If anything, what about the marketing budget for this first Christmas? We don't see six billion pounds or denarii or whatever it was they traded in. A couple of angels was the best that heaven could do. Now, don't get me wrong, a couple of angels, uh, angelic fanfare is not a shabby effort. But actually the goal for the marketing of the first Christmas story is not bigger and better. It's not let's get the message out to all people. If anything, what we see on the pages of the scriptures is it's very specific. It's a couple of different people being chosen. A couple of different groups of people being given the message. Who do we have? We have some magi. Essentially, uh, people from a distant land from the east probably reasonably wealthy, maybe uh, speculators, maybe uh, avid learners, but coming, foreigners coming from afar who are given a sign to return to, to come to Jerusalem to meet this king. 
outsiders. And then we have the shepherds. What a peculiar group of people to invite to play their part in this first Christmas. Shepherds were by definition considered to be outsiders in first century culture. They were smelly. They were dirty. They lived in the hills. They wouldn't have even been allowed into the religious establishments. They wouldn't have been allowed into church, folks, because of the way that they looked, because of the way that they were considered. They were considered immoral and underclass. And yet, it's to these people that the divine marketing strategy is aimed. Hardly bigger and better. What about Herod? King Herod, the Donald Trump of his day, the leader of the empire, cut completely out of the loop. Not even considered worthy of hearing the message. He hears it eventually by accident. Some administrative error by the Magi land them up uh, in his front room. And he's cut out of the loop. When he does get involved, he makes a vain attempt to, hold, to shut the whole Christmas story down. Trying to crush this young Messiah, this young king. Why? Because he sees this young king as a threat. Because he expects that this king will be bigger and better than him. He's threatened because he imagines that the Christmas story is about bigger. It is about better. And this, therefore, is a threat to his power. And what of the baby? Hardly bigger and better. Something quite different is going on. God in flesh doesn't come as a, uh, a king born in a palace, seated on a throne, but he's born in an inn. Uh, a room in a small house. The guest room unavailable, probably, presumably, because visitors, family were already there. Joseph and Mary show up late, so they're, they're put in the room where the animals would be brought in and out in the evening. Part of the house, but not the guest room. And they're laid, uh, the baby when born is laid in this manger from which the animals would fe feed. Not a royal throne, but a manger. The circumstances of this baby's birth are so humble, you could easily miss him. But this was the plan all along. Christmas was not a story of bigger and better. Whoever staged, managed this event has a vision of greatness, has a vision of significance, has a vision of power, very different to the vision that we see reflected in our culture today, the vision that Herod carried at the time, and in fact, the vision of pretty much any of us. We've got to be honest, it's so easy every Christmas to get caught up in the hype, isn't it? To get caught up in the Black Friday, and that's when Christmas begins. Now, Black Friday, going big on Amazon. Come on, bigger and better, let's get caught up in this narrative. And yet Christmas is not about a bigger and better every year spectacle. If anything, the first Christmas story is about smaller and weaker and meeker, more humble than ever before. What do we read in Philippians? This reading that Tony read to us just before I got up to speak. Who says of God, being in the very nature of God, this is Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Rather, he made himself nothing. Nothing. 
by taking the very nature of a servant, not a king, not a president, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. This, folks, is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about a God who humbles himself. A God who's not firstly, primarily fascinated with trumpeting his own power and glory across Twitter or whatever social media platform is available in the day. But a God is, who is willing to divest, who's willing to empty himself of his power in order that he might reach the least of these. A God who is able to empty himself of his own pomp and ceremony. Who's able to avoid and even eschew and, and push away the spectacle. Why? So that this God might become intimate with his people. Christmas is the ultimate example of intimacy of God. That God would wish to come close first and foremost to people. This is a God who's willing to become vulnerable so that he might come close. A God who's willing to be found as a baby. A God who's willing to risk being uh, dropped by his mother. Rolled over in the night on by his mother. This kind of God is the God that we encounter at Christmas. Not a tyrant pushing his will on everybody else. But a servant God. It is a peculiar story. It is a strange story. Christmas is not about a big spectacle, but it's about a God who wants to be intimate with every one of us. Christmas is about God coming closer to us. Christmas is about God coming to be with us. Christmas is about a God who wants to become one of us. He wants to become one of us so he can be with us. Just yesterday morning uh, we had some friends over and uh, we have this little tradition when friends come into our house that we make pancakes and uh, pancake day is a great day I love pancakes I love maple syrup some bacon in there there's some creme fraiche and it's a good mix it sounds bad but it's awesome maple syrup really with everything just redeems every single thing um, and uh, yesterday morning my two eldest kids Grace and Joseph want to be part of it they wanted to be involved. And so Amy, and she, she often does this. Uh, she said, yep, of course you can. And uh, so the pancake mix was made. And uh, I saw the kids begin to get involved. And I just, I just thought, I cannot be part of this. This is going to be way too messy for my OCD tendencies to be anywhere near any of this. The first thing I thought to do is I need to shut this down. I have to somehow shut this down before it gets too messy. And I thought, you know, I can't do that. I'll, I'll leave it to my friend. So my friend Andy sort of stage managed it. So I thought, no, I won't shut it down. But what I'll do is I'll distance myself from it. I need to be as far away as possible from this chaos and mess that's about to take place in my kitchen. Later on, I'll clean it up. I'll do whatever needs to be, but I can't be involved in it. Amy came up to me after a little while and she saw my, uh, I don't know what the word be, confusion, uh, distraction, disturbance. And she said, Johnny... All you need to do is be with them. Don't try and stop it. Do you not have to distance yourself from it? Just be with them. And I realized in that moment that that was profoundly true. So what I did is I wandered over to stand next to Andy and I just watched the kids create havoc. <laughs> Absolute havoc. 
And some pancakes came out the other side. None of them were uniform in shape or size or colour. <laughs> but for them, the meal was that much richer. And in that moment, I felt something deeply true was being shown me about Christmas. What we see at Christmas is a God who doesn't have to shut down the mess, who doesn't look at our lives and say, they're too messy for me to get anywhere close. It's not a God who distances himself. It's not a God who turns his face away when he sees the grief and the pain and the loss and the chaos and the sin and the sickness and the darkness of our world and of our lives. He's a God who turns his face towards and even more than turning his face towards, he climbs into the middle of the mess. He says, come on. Let me make pancakes with you. Let's break some eggs. I want to know what it's like to break some eggs too. I want to know what it's like to be broken too. A God who comes close, a God who doesn't stay away, doesn't stay distant. This is what the Christmas story is all about. Not bigger and better and brighter, but smaller and meeker and closer and richer and kinder and more gracious and more merciful and more beautiful than you or I could ever have imagined. This is the God of Christmas. And this is good news. Because if you're anything like me, your life is messy. And you see the mess in your own heart. You're not the person you wish you were. You're not as patient as you wish you were. You're not as kind as you wish you were. You're not as loving as you wish you were. You look at your family life, you look at your work life, you look at the world around you and it's broken too. And you don't need a God who's gonna say to you, bigger, better, this year, making Christmas great again. You and I need a God who says, I see it. And I love you so much, I'm gonna become part of it. I'm gonna climb down into the middle of the mess with you and let's together build a world in which there is hope and joy and peace this is the God of Christmas this is the God we need this is the God revealed in the person the baby Jesus so what do we do what's our response we have two choices we can side with Herod we can try to ignore crush Walk away from this Jesus, this God revealed in a baby, in a manger. Or we can do what Mary did. We can say, let it be to me according to your word. We can do what the Magi did. We can begin our journey and head towards, take our first stumbling steps towards the light in the sky. We can do what the shepherds did. We can drop whatever we're doing and come and investigate this baby who comes in meekness, in humility. You might not understand it all. You won't. None of us do. But maybe this Christmas you can begin or take the next steps in your journey towards this Jesus. Maybe for you that looks like coming back another Sunday to this church or some other church. Maybe you've been following for a long time and this is a moment to recalibrate your expectations, to, to think of Jesus again in a new way. Whatever it looks like for you, I encourage you, come to him. Come, bow the knee before him and ask him to speak to you and to meet with you. Why don't I pray?